Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this interview is Let's Blow Your Mind. Money, drugs, sex, and hypnosis. What is lurking in your subconscious? My guest is Wendy Friesen, and she is a worldwide leader. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. She is a worldwide leader in creating rapid change for life's difficult problems. Since 1994, her site at wendy.com, that's with an I, W-E-N-D-I.com, has influenced the lives of millions worldwide and brought insight, wisdom, and spiritual growth to people in need. Often described by her colleagues as a powerful healer, teacher, and the creative marketing expert. She is one of the most loved transformational trainers in the world. As a flat, broke, single mother of two with no resources, money, help, or partners, she created a transformation business for devoted followers who seek real change. Her work caught the attention of the media, and she quickly became an authority on how to make rapid and massive change in your mind body, and spiritual life. Wendy.com, again, that's W-E-N-D-I, grew to experience millions in sales in a short time, reaching the hearts and minds of people who understood how her sincerity and passion could transform their lives. And with, that, with all that done, I give you Wendy Friesen. Hi, Tony. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to meet you. And we have some things in common that we might be talking about. But of course, my passion for 27 years has been hypnotherapy. And I just stumbled into it by accident because in Sacramento, my current business was closing and I was reading the classified ads on the last day. And there's one little classified ad that said hypnotherapy school. And it was just the tiniest little thing. I called them, had no idea what it was. They said, it starts tonight. <laughs> and I did. How divine intervention is that? <laughs> wow. And I love how it's like no procrastination. It was time to act. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was definitely the God's planning. It's like, okay, no time for you to, to get fearful and back out. You went for it. That's interesting. That's one of the... Um, characteristics I have that I learned from my father. He was an entrepreneur all his life. Well, he's a preacher first, but then an entrepreneur, when he wanted to do something, he was on it right now. He's got to get the information as fast as he can to see if it's viable or not. I found that thinking is a great thing, a necessary thing, an essential thing, an <laughs> awesome thing. But very often, given too much time, our thinking goes down a road of fear of fear and paralysis. So it's, it's very, it pays to not spend too much time thinking to avoid that detriment. 
Yeah, probably keep the momentum going by looking at the things that you want and what part of it gets you excited. So my work with people who are having fear of success, fear of failure, feeling stuck, they have projects they want to do, but they run out of energy. We look for the positive intention behind being stuck or fearful or not worthy. For me, when I was starting out, I was definitely not worthy of wealth and I didn't know that. And no matter how much I wished for it and hoped for it, when I did the work to ask my inner mind what the positive reason was for being poor, the answer was shocking. What was it? It said, I need you to be pitiful. And that didn't seem like a very positive reason. And it hurt. And even saying it now hurts. And I said, okay, thank you. Even deeper, why do you need me to be so poor? And it said, I need you to be more pitiful. It was, and those were not answers I would have come up with in my conscious thinking. And I said, thank you. And then I said, even deeper, why do you need me to be more pitiful? And the part said, because then somebody will rescue you. I had an agenda to be rescued? Me? I mean, previously I had had some successful businesses and done some cool things. But that was not coming from my conscious thought. I didn't make that up. It was coming from that inner information, that mysterious place that that was the deal. When I cleared that up, my financial life changed. I then made um, an affirmation and put it on this little post-it note that said, by August of next year, which was one year away, I will have made 1 million or more in sales on my website and my business. And I will move into my beautiful brand new house. And while neither of those was possible, not even remotely, I put it on the monitor of my computer, the little post-it note. So I saw it every day. And then I went into the future, imaginary future in hypnosis to one year in the future. I saw it and all these happy people that I had helped and all these, oh my gosh, just the feeling that I had, that I had done this for so many people and helped them and inspired them. One year later, my business had done one million and twelve thousand dollars, which is like pretty darn close. <laughs> that and- is fabulous. Nothing like getting honest with yourself. I recall yeah. when I read Conversations with God in the '90s, which was an awesome book. When you know the Neil Donald Walsh, the author, purports that the God is you know half the author, and I don't dispute that. Anyway, aside from that, uh, so he has this conversation with God and he asks God, you know, why do I do all this messed up shit over and over? And, and God said, well, when you're done with it, then you can move on to the next thing. And you were, it seems to me, you know, this, using a parallel to that book or not, that you got honest with yourself and you said, oh my God, uh, you know, pity, pity is what I wanted. And then you said, well, time to move on <laughs> after you have this, uh, this honest assessment of yourself. Yeah. And it's getting that hidden information out that I love with hypnosis because you don't get it from all your cognitive thinking and you're hoping and dreaming and writing down stuff. You're not going to get out of that nitty gritty stuff that's in there. And for me, I remember so well, just crying after I found out that a part of me wanted me to be rescued, but then when you're going into your imaginary future, after you've cleared up the issues though, you've got to get those out of the way, Hmm. then you can let your mind absorb the events of the future as real memories. And it stores them as real memories. And it doesn't know the difference between a real and an imagined event. We do consciously, but our subconscious accepts it. So now it has a belief that, oh, look what I did. And 
on that week in August, the same week that I wrote that post-it note, I opened the door to a beautiful brand new house that I had bought that same week, one year later. Wow. So you created this business that was so successful, so impactful, and you got yourself a nice, nice house and home out of the deal too. <laughs> you really changed things. when. Yeah. And I think one of the things that it did, because my subconscious had a belief that it had already happened, that I got really brave and I did some things that I wouldn't probably have done. And I didn't shut down. I didn't get lazy. Every day I went out and went to businesses and talked to people and made phone calls. I called a radio station in Sacramento, a big talk radio station and said, hi, I'd like to have my own radio show. And they said, oh, well, um, here, you can talk to Paul Lyle. He's our morning show host. So he happened to be right there. She gives him the phone and he says, why don't you come on the show on Monday morning, come in at 6 a.m. in the studio and I'll have you on. And I was terrified. I had never done anything like that. But that was an example of me taking a brave step to do something ridiculous that worked out. And then I went in there and I was on the air for three hours in the studio. Oh my gosh, it was great. It was so many callers. It was amazing. My business transformed in that one day. He or she who dares wins. You <laughs> are good. the living proof of it. That is fantastic. Well, you know, it's, you, you, I mean, you are an, quite an accomplished change worker and, um, you know, I'm a junior compared to you um, in terms of uh, what you've done in, in, in that field and your career. But one of the things that I really, you know, I, you know, and I'm a recovering addict. I know that's one of your specialties and we'll get into that. Uh, and I use the term recovering addict, you can call it recovered addict, someone who fixed themselves sufficiently, whatever, you know, been over, been clean, sober over 20 years now. Oh, and, uh, and one of, and some of the things I hear a very common misconception or statement or an idea that people have is that, oh, you know, you know, uh, there are people in the 12 step rooms that, you know, by the, use the disease model, which is fine. Uh, but then I hear people in the public who don't know much about it. They'll say, oh, someone consciously chose it. And I think there's somewhere there's really between the two is there's, is more of the truth is that people may have chosen it, but not consciously, unconsciously. That's where the real power is. We, you know, that's what, mm -hmm. that's what really directs us, the unconscious of ourself. Uh, and that, in that regard, this is my contention. Yeah, a person can unconsciously make themselves an addict. What do you think about that? Yeah. Well, you know, so much of what you're saying is true. You know that I don't believe there is a disease behind alcoholism or addiction, mm -hmm. but is it a disease when we have hardwired our brains to have these reactions that occur anytime that you're sad, feeling low, you see someone else drinking and it instantly just activates the addiction aspect of it. So we, you know, just the word disease, let's just not use it and look at what else is happening to make that a problem. A lot of my clients who are quitting drugs or alcohol, they don't have to set a date. They don't have to have willpower. They don't have to go, I got this. I can do it. We do two or three sessions together. Usually I do them like each day. We do them every day for 10 days. But about the third day, they said, you know, I didn't drink today. I just didn't feel like it. It wasn't a big deal. And I didn't want to. And then they don't. And so a great example, Ken, who is awesome. He, he said, I'm 45 and I'm just a fat slob drunk. That's all I've ever been. And now my friends know that. And I am a fat slob drunk. So he does 
he's starting the program. And on the second day, he goes one year in his future. And he called me up and he said, I am an athlete in my future. That makes no sense because I've never done anything athletic, but I'm an athlete. I was having fun. You said, what are you passionate about? And all of a sudden I'm like running marathons and stuff. This makes no sense. So I said, well, just see what happens. You know, it's okay to play around with that a little bit. He started training at 45 years old to be an Iron Man, went to competitions all over the world. That's triathlon, right? Yes. Qualified for the Hawaii Ironman and competed in it. <laughs> He's still doing that 20 years later. It, and he what, didn't have to quit drinking. He didn't have to say, okay, that's it. I'm not drinking. He says, you know, about a month later, I saw in my fridge, there was a six pack of beer because he used to drink over a case of beer a day. And he says, there was a six pack of beer in my fridge all this time. I never even noticed it. So I opened a can and I poured a glass and I just looked at it and it meant nothing to me. It, it nothing. I didn't drink it or anything. Wow. That's fantastic. Neutralize, neutralize the struggle so that it's not a thing. We, we, we could probably talk about this for hours, especially <laughs> you and I. Yeah. Uh, uh, hours and hours. What we're going to do is we're going to take a, a break, a quick break, hear from our sponsor, and we're going to come back and then we'll try to keep the format because I already can tell to, the kind of banter that we can have could be could go off in any tangent uh, <laughs> you know or at least in, in the things that we have in common and that is a big one right there so let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Wendy Friesen this episode of self-help coaching is brought to you by Perficio, perhaps the most common method that coaches worldwide use to get undisputable results for their clients is NLP Visit www.proficio.io. That's proficio.io, where you can make the changes you want and get the results you dream of. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Wendy Friesen. And we're going to stop talking about addiction for a moment. And let's, let's talk about some of the things that I, that, I want, that I want to speak with Wendy about. And what about the bad hypnosis that is out there? Oh, boy. I had someone who asked me about a session on YouTube that they were listening to, uh, and it was to stop smoking. And anybody can put a hypnosis session on there. And I said, well, I'll give it a listen. And I listened to it and it was having you envision your lungs being black and sick and full of tar and imagining you dying in the hospital and your family is all there watching you die and you feel so guilty and you feel terrible about what you've done to yourself. And it went on and on with all this negativity. When we do work to like, let's say heal a condition in someone's body, we're creating positive imagery. We're getting the brain to activate all the healing things, not telling you that you're diseased and that your lungs are dying because that could actually lead to more lung issues. But this was so bad. And I thought, well, that's called aversion therapy. And aversion therapy is dangerous. And I didn't realize that there was so much bad hypnosis on the internet. Got to be careful about the stuff on YouTube. People are just trying to get hits. Now, and you don't know if there's suggestions in there that aren't worded right because our subconscious is very literal. Now, I'm a 55-year-old punk rocker. I used to have a big old mohawk, sing for a punk fan. <laughs> I like aversion therapy. But then again, I'm not a hypnotherapist or even a therapist at all. I was a coach. So I like it, but you know, I would, I would only do it with, with a lot of thought behind it and, and only as part of a push pull situation. Uh, but you, you, so I wouldn't even do it unless I a lot of 
thought went, went into it. But the, I trust what you're saying that you 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 could easily cause harm if you if you mess up with that and if you're not careful and cautious and mindful mm -hmm. about putting negative thoughts and images in people's minds that they can manifest. Yeah. Well, and another example is Tony Robbins, who has been a big inspiration to a lot of people, and I have loved him through time. But I was at one of his live seminars with 2,000 people. And at one point, while our eyes were closed and we, he had done some process on us, we're all standing up. And then he says, now put your arm up, make a fist and put your arm up in the air and make sure that what you're seeing at the end of your arm when you open your eyes is me on stage. So here we're making a fist and we open our eyes and we're supposed to line him up with that fist. Well, me being a hypnotherapist, the next things he said were shocking <laughs> because he was connecting us with him for all of our happiness, all of our joy, all of our accomplishments, making sure we were looking right at him and staring at him. And the, the arm being up kept us just more riveted and gave us a reason. But he was linking all the things that are good that are going we're going to create as a result of him. And so you that, found it, you think though it was unethical. Oh yeah, oh totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the other weird thing that happened at that same seminar was earlier on, he did a future timeline session and I'm sitting there in my chair with my eyes closed, I'm all relaxed and he's saying, mm -hmm. and now float up out of that moment in the present and take him, and he's, he's got this wording, right? And all of a sudden I went, what? That's my words. Those are my words. That's my future timeline process. And he was using your script? The... Huh? He was using your script? Yeah, yeah. I'd say 80% of his thing with that future timeline was my script. And then it gets to the end and then he's saying, now float up above that and notice it from above and notice, you know, that. but it was like, <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> homage to you, but geez. <laughs> that's Although long. a lot of us have similar ideas and wording and different things. And if there was a little bit of wording in there, that'd be one thing, but um, it was like a lot of it was, but anyway, that's just a little, whatever. I, I don't even know what to think. <laughs> well, I imagine there's a lot of stealing, quote unquote, stealing in the change work mm. field. I mean, it's practically inevitable. But then again, Tony Robbins is worth like $400 million. I don't know how many millions you got, Wendy. Maybe you guys should have a little conversation. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and you know, um, now I'm pretty sure you're a practitioner of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, right? Mm -hmm. So my, certainly Robbins come, came out of it, you know, and then he made his own thing, which is really the way to go, <laughs> right? You gotta be proprietary, it's where it's at. Uh, and I, indeed, when I made my virtual coaching program, Proficio, it was based in NLP and I use visualization because mm -hmm. that is where it's at. You know, we got to go, you know, live, you know, live into the image that we want to have. And that's a very important thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, and it, once you clear up whatever identity issues and beliefs about yourself from the past, you got to clear those up first. Otherwise, you're going to have a conflict of imagining who you are becoming and who you are into the future. And if you have some self-sabotage issues, those need to be cleared up. Once you do that, we can create this really clear and powerful vision of who we are in the future, which the future is like, you know, right now, but also a year from now. Always, and then the future we, always, right? Yeah, and we can do things differently. But if you try to just 
like you make affirmations and you visualize and you do all this stuff and it's not working and you don't know why. Well, what if you still have issues with being unworthy? And that's what you grew up with. What if you made a lot of mistakes in some previous jobs or businesses and they failed? Now you are a failure and you're coming from these beliefs. Absolutely. So we've got to clear those before all that visualizing is going to have an effect. When I first began, began my recovery, my successful recovery from addiction, I found that that was the most important hurdle was this self-esteem issue, this being worthy of someone that deserves good things, that deserves recovery. Because until yeah. I got past that, it was the same sabotage over and over again. Why should I do all this if I'm not worth it? And the answer was I wouldn't do it until Boy. I became worth it in, in my own mind. Then that was a game changer, a game changer and other things. Yeah. So for the audience listening, you know, hear what he said. If you need to rewind it and listen to that again, that's very, very important that especially with addiction, if you don't get that worthiness and you just can't instantly go, okay, I'm worthy. No. You know, you got to look at where the issues are and that's what's being um, activated in your subconscious mind. Every time you think about, I got to quit drinking boom, your brain goes to the unworthiness, mistakes I've made, I deserve to be punished. Um, you go into a not well grocery store and there's an aisle with liquor and you immediately get triggered that, oh, I've got to have that. And you again, energize that unworthiness. I And what I've done with my addiction work is I've really gotten rid of that, but changed people to have a different reaction and a different trigger. If they see alcohol, think about alcohol or drugs, um, drive by a bar. So I was in a grocery store in Sacramento and this woman stopped me and she said, Oh my God, Wendy, Wendy, I have to tell you what happened. So I used your alcohol freedom program. She says, now I haven't drank for months, but now when I'm in the grocery store and I go through the aisle with the wine and the liquor, because I feel like dancing. I'm so happy because that doesn't have any, any pull on me. She says, I really feel like dancing. So we've changed the trigger instead of it triggering her to feel like, Oh God, I can't buy a bottle of wine. Oh my God, I just can't do it. Instead of that, she's just subconsciously just whoa, filled with joy. Changing triggers and reframing or, or anchor, changing anchors is just, well, collapsing anchors, as they say in NLP, that's a very important thing. And, you know, yep. we can do so much by, with ourselves and really always ultimately comes down to ourselves. But when you have someone who really knows what they're doing, like Wendy, or me to a lesser degree, <laughs> uh, make it can really make the difference is being guided. I mean, ultimately, you, the person, are responsible. You know, no one will ever get you clean or do anything else for you, for that matter. But having someone in your corner that's an expert that can that can see the bigger picture, that knows a couple of things, that is, you know, it's 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 in the it's really indispensable. You know, yeah. I wanted to mention one thing about feeling esteem. I recall. You know, you know, I was when I was in the twelve steps, the twelve step uh, groups. I was in AA and NA, uh, and I haven't been a member in, for a long time. Um, but uh, one of the uh, recommendations, the suggestions, is to go to ninety meetings in ninety days, which is a universal. Oh. Yeah, and uh, you know, and it was one thing I never could do, but I finally did it, and and uh, and, and, I, and I always wanted to, but I never did, and then until I finally pulled it off, and. Um, and then when I, one day I, when, at the end of those three months and I did those 90 meetings in 90 days, I looked in front of the mirror 
and I had this weird feeling. I was like, what is this feeling? I feel this feeling. I don't know. I, it was foreign to me. I was like, am I, am I, is this like a, a flashback of some drug use? No, it wasn't. I realized that it was a feeling of liking myself because I had kept my word to myself. It doesn't matter what it was. It was something that was not easy to do. Okay. 1990, which seems a lot. It is. But I liked myself in this regard, which is recovery from addiction, which is a life, it's a life-changing thing. I got to say, you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm a practitioner of NLP, a coach, an entrepreneur. I'm into all these philosophies, psychologies. They're great. But the most profound thing I ever did for myself was to get clean and sober, which is to clear my mind from all these things which pollute it and, and yeah. keep my wits about myself and have that accumulate over years. That was the most And then profound. you get prouder and prouder of yourself for accomplishing all these goals, even if they're small ones or big ones, and finding that that feeling is no longer there and you're no longer battling with it. So you can let go of some of the feelings of weakness or doubt and being scared that you're always going to go back to it. And that's what with NLP and hypnosis, we can get a person to not have to worry about going back. It's not how many days you've been clean or sober. It's that you are and it's done. But here's the thing about the 90 meetings in 90 days. And you know, if you're, if you're a person out there and you're doing that and it's working, that's great. But here's what I feel. <laughs> when you're in those meetings, you're listening to a lot of sad stories. When you're listening to these sad stories of hope or struggle or failures or relapses, whatever they are, it's energizing your own memories that have the same emotions as that in your brain. So for 90 days, you're energizing these memories of struggle, of fear of that I can't do it and making mistakes in your life and people talking about, you know, I stole from my mother. I, I would go into a room and just take whatever cash I could find. Well, your own brain is going to go to times when you were unscrupulous and you stole from people or you took advantage of people. So igniting those memories, like with your NLP work, if we ask somebody to think about those things every day for 90 days, oh my God, <laughs> it just- I'm the first ah, one to say- up. That 12-step recovery is great if you can do it. It's ripe with pitfalls and dangers and, and it's a yeah. minefield. So you got to be careful. Uh, I think that, well, I don't want, I'm not poo-pooing it. I think that I've already mentioned that there's nothing like having someone who knows what they're doing to be your guide. Uh, that's especially a professional and it has a history and, and a resume of, 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 of success. Nothing like that. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with Wendy Friesen. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. When Ben Franklin arrived in Philadelphia, all he had was 10 cents in his pocket. Despite this, he became America's first self-made man. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O to actually have the knowledge and principles of Ben Franklin transferred into yourself. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Wendy Friesen. And I want to ask Wendy, how do you wake up and feel better, different, and courageous in your life? And whether it be, I'm not, that's not for you and for everyone else. <laughs> okay. It, it's actually pretty easy to explain. And for people who are feeling like they wake up in the morning with a feeling of dread, or they review what they didn't do yesterday and what's looming that they, uncomfortable things they need to do. Um, when I started out, one of my biggest lessons was about a really uncomfortable thing I had to take care of. 
uh, I was really new at this, but I, my tanning salons, I had two of them and I owed money in taxes and payroll taxes. So the, the IRS man would come to my front door at my house and say, got any money today? And I said, no, I still don't have any. And I was just so scared to try and figure this out and figure out how to pay it off. And I didn't want to confront the issue. And even now, 28 years later, my stomach hurts when I talk about it. It's weird. And so I had to get myself to be courageous and to wake up the next morning on whatever morning it was, and that I was going to fully 100% just take it head on. I imagine myself doing that. But more than that, I imagine the feeling that I would have afterwards. So I put myself going through the, the steps, going down to Sacramento to the office of the IRS and everything saying, here we go, what do I do? And coming back home and going, oh. And then I also had a couple of years taxes that I hadn't filed. So I imagine myself getting those all finished, putting them in an envelope, because back then we had you know stamps and envelopes and licking the stamps and sealing it up and going to a big blue post office or a box, whatever, putting it in there and then imagining myself dancing and having fun and going, yeah. Now, this was a very simple, quick thing that I did with both of these issues. But what it did is it made my brain create a very motivated piece of brain that wanted that feeling so much. I wanted that feeling more than I wanted the current feeling of dread and feeling stuck. And I, did, I was on automatic. I just got up and I started working on it and I got it done, went to a tax attorney to get a couple years of taxes handled and remove all the fines and things and the payroll taxes, Got cleared it all up, was done within days. And the getting that feeling that you want is going to motivate you and drive you. If you do it before you go to sleep at night, when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be a different day. You're going to feel like, oh, I'm getting out of bed because I used to not get out of bed. I used to stay in bed till like nine or 10 o'clock. And then all of a sudden I'm up when the sun comes up because I'm ready to go. Now, my days aren't always like that. Even now I'm human. I got yeah. shit. Oh happens. no, you're human. Oh, we wanted, a, we wanted an infallible <laughs> hero. Yeah, I have. Oh God, life just has so many things that, you know, that we got to deal with, but knowing what to do with them and how to be resourceful and how to reframe these things. I love what you said about the, I mean, you talk about these visualizations and, and, and there's a hundred other things, but you know, even when I was uh, an addict, this is a, a recurring theme with us because we have so much, we know so much about it. You know, I don't say that with big egos, we just, because that's our, you know, we have a lot of experience, but I had a lot of experience as an addict and I had a lot of experience as a recovering addict. But as an addict, I recall, you know, I wanted to get, become, become, get into change work, but I was so much of a mess that I could, you know, I had to work on changing myself before I could seriously think about it. And what I would, I, I found myself doing when I, I would imagine myself going out and getting the drugs and doing it. And you know what happened every time I went out? I did exactly that. I did exactly that. So that's a funny thing that I went and I spent $300 on Coke again tonight. And, you know, and I'm enough for two days and blow, you know, and then, so when I learned, when I learned NLP uh, and, you know, and, and some, and some uh, hypnosis, I found that, yeah, that, that, that's what I would, by visualizing that, that's exactly, and, and living it. I can do the opposite and I can get the miracle, you know, and get the life that I want. 
you know, do, do, sometimes people need a miracle, right? Yeah, you know, I hear miracle? you. And it's interesting, um, you brought up the cocaine thing because back in the 80s, I was doing a lot of cocaine and um, it was it was getting really rough because it's- It was good for you just, back then. Whew, oh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I finally decided there was a day where I decided that I am never, ever, ever, ever doing this again. And, and that's negative, but I wasn't, you know, doing this kind of work back then. Right. And if someone mentions it, or if someone talks about it, I am immediately walking away. And I envision myself just walking away right in the middle of any conversation. If someone alludes to it in any way. So I felt like I was subconsciously removing myself from any aspect of it. And I did quit. That was it. And that was, you know, it was a tough thing to do, as you know, but there are lots of people who can relate to that from the eighties and early nineties. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure a lot, you know, you know, contemporarily, you know, and that's one of the things, by the way, you know, when they talk, when we look at society as a whole and the global society, I, I don't think there's, really evolution i i you know and i measured that primarily with addiction there seems to be more and more addiction uh you know per capita and i think that's a sign of de-evolution quite frankly i'm sure that of course you can put other metrics in there but to me that's a glaring one it's a glaring metric uh, mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. what do you think about that or am i just a pompous idiot right well i i don't know if this is related to what you're saying about evolution but um i've kind of decided that aliens created us we aren't it's not a uh, result of evolution because when I like go diving in the ocean, there's no way that evolution could have created all of this awesome, all these creatures. Octopus these are, is the best. Yeah, I know. I love that one. So <laughs> these kids in school on alien planets, their assignment was, I want you to create the environment in an ocean that will support this kind of sea life. I want you to create the trees that are going to support these kind of animals and you're going to make the animals. So they created all of this and all of us, right? And that's why there's so much diversity. The reason we're seeing UFOs is because they're coming to check their homework, see how it's going. And they're going like, wow, those squid, they totally change color at the same time. Good job. <laughs> totally. So I those mean, humans, they're doing exactly what you wanted them to do. <laughs> I, I concur. I really, you know, I think that there most probably was an alien intervention because we're kind of, we break the mold. Uh, you know, and it, the world is so complex and wonderful. It's just like, it's incredible. All right, I don't want to even get, get you know, <laughs> I don't want to lose my mind with that one. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll move on to other other topics. Okay, Here's so, to the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> again, I, we can talk for hours. I'm, I'm seeing that. That's obvious. All right, quick break. <laughs> this episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Proficio. When people learn something, they want to use it so it has real value. And the best teacher is experienced. Visit www.proficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O.io, where Proficio will have you taking action with what you're learning immediately. You'll be closer to your goals before you even realize it. You're listening to the Self-Help Co Coaching Podcast with Wendy Friesen. And, and we're going to continue with that last, that last topic, continuing about miracles. How does hypnotherapy actually create miracles? Let's use that word. Let's continue with that word. 
for me, when I was new at my hypnotherapy practice, I was seeing clients and they would come in with conditions that I'm like, I wouldn't tell them that, but I'd like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do because I was really new. And I had several mentors that I could call on the phone and get help from and stuff. But one woman had been going to a psychologist for two years, every week for two years, she was depressed and she was about 30 years old. She says, I've been depressed for so long and nothing's working, nothing's helping. So me being fairly inexperienced, worked with her. We did four sessions. And after the four sessions, she says, you know, I, my depression lifted after our first session, but now I'm like a new person. I'm just, I'm not depressed. I'm excited about life again. And I just feel like this is the real me. Well, me not even understanding it created a miracle with her. Um, I don't know the exact mechanism, except that our body is listening to us all the time, every part of our body, every cell, every organ. So this woman listens to a session of mine called Disc of Light, which is just to imagine this disc above your head that has all this power and information and flowing energy. And I have you slowly move it down through your body and it removes any harmful cells, harmful bacteria, any cells that are not supposed to be there, such as cancerous cells, and it releases them. It goes all the way down to bottoms of your feet, and then you start again with another disc. She says, after I listened to that, I started feeling really weird, and I didn't feel very good, and my belly started hurting. She said, I went and got in the bathtub, and I passed a tumor from my uterus, a tumor a small one, but she says, I knew I had the tumor there and I was going to have to have surgery, but I passed this tumor. I'm like what? Incredible. <laughs> um, a that, woman I, I would with, say that is miraculous. It is. Uh, that, that we can do that. That must've blown you away. I mean, you, totally. Oh, you know. there's, there's thousands of things that have blown me away. One of them that is one of my favorite experiences is a woman named Martha who was about 55 years old and she had been kind of catatonic for two years. She was living in her house with her two adult daughters. She couldn't move any part of her body. Her eyes, her eyes were open and she could see, but she couldn't move anything else. Um, and so they fed her with a feeding tube and they were taking care of her, but two years she hadn't moved. So her hands were just all clenched up tight and her legs and joints were so tight. So I sat beside her and I did a session that was just telling her a story about this beautiful little creek in a meadow and this blanket that was pink and yellow that she put down on the ground. And she put her feet in the little stream and felt the coldness of that water on her feet. And then I said, oh, and there's someone coming down that little path on the hill. And I was describing two girls um, and they came and sat down with her. And I said, now you're making daisy chains out of the little flowers. Cause I wanted her brain to reignite little tiny movements. So anyway, I finished that. And after I was done, the two adult daughters were in the room and they said, how did you know all that? I said, what do you mean? She says, that's exactly where my mother took us. And that's what we would do is make daisy chains. The blanket was pink and yellow, the little stream, right? I said, I don't know. I just described what I was seeing. Well, anyway, next week I go to their house and wow. Martha raised her eyebrows when I walked in the room and we did another session. The next week when I came in, she smiled. She could move her mouth and smile and raise her eyebrows. So now her hands were clenched really tight. And I said, I want you to imagine that each of your fingers is a color of Play-Doh. Remember Play-Doh that you used to play with with your daughters when they were little? And I would touch her fingers and I said, this one is blue 
and this one's yellow and her fingers weren't moving, but I said Play-Doh's so soft, you know, and it's so easy to move it. So then I come back next week and her fingers can move. <laughs> and so I said, lift this finger for yes. And she lifts the first finger of one hand and then the other hand, I said, lift this one for no. She was doing it, now she could communicate with yeses and nos. And so over the period of two or three months, her body, I got her body to be flexible enough that they could sit her up, put her in a wheelchair and take her for walks, take her to town, do things with her. And she was doing great. She was doing really, really well. A few months later, they called me and said she has an infection in her entire body and she's in the hospital and she has a breathing tube. And they said, when they take it out, she's going to die. Can you go there and do something? And I said, well, I don't really know anything about this, but <laughs> I'm courageous. So I went to the hospital and I sat with her in the intensive care with my face right next to her. And I said, Martha, you and I both know that you know how to breathe. You've always known how to breathe. And when they take that tube out, it's like your body remembers when you were born and you took that biggest breath. <gasps> And it was so easy and so natural. And you'll continue to breathe. And we both know that. <clears throat> a man walks in the room who is like, I don't know, an intern. He wasn't one of the doctors, intern or nurse or something. Or he comes in, he listens to what I'm doing. And he says, she's not going to breathe. She's going to die. <laughs> Thanks a lot, buddy. Oh, my gosh. So I said, Martha, he doesn't know anything. He's an idiot you and I know that you're going to breathe. So I left. I spent about an hour and a half with her and I left. And then later that day, the daughter called me and said, they took the tube out and Martha's breathing. She took the biggest breath when they took it out and she's breathing on her own and doing good. <laughs> so miracles. Yes. Oh, I got so many, of, so many of these. Like for the guy to come in and program into her mind that she's going to die. She's not going to breathe without any regard for what she's hearing. Right, and there are a number of reasons why. His own ego, his own ignorance, you know, and, and, and in our field, we're very mindful of that. You know, most, everyone else is not in our field. <laughs> but but there's some great miracles. Like I work with um, people for sexual issues a lot. And okay, so really let's, talk, let's get into sex. We'll come right back. I'm <laughs> gonna uh, keep our clothes on. Uh, when we come back from Darn. this commercial break. <laughs> just getting right. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Proficio. The pandemic has painfully shown how we must have money put away. Not just for a rainy day, but for a whole bunch of them. You must accrue wealth to really be okay. Visit www.proficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O. Io, where you can truly learn financial principles like never before so that you can have the future you really want and need. You are listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Wendy Freezing. Wendy, is there such a thing uh, as sex? <laughs> <laughs> well, remember the aliens I was talking about earlier? <laughs> okay, one of the kids in the alien school, they said, your job is to make sure that humans have babies. You've got to give them some overwhelming desire and reason mm. to want to create exactly. babies. Exactly. And they did. The orgasm, they, it works pretty good. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> but when 
people have trouble, like for men, trouble getting erections and for women, women, especially feeling really self-conscious about having an orgasm or being like in the moment. Hypnosis is really, really good for that. It is amazing how you can change these sexual issues that maybe you got them when you were very young. Like a man who had premature ejaculation, he, um, as an, like he was now probably 30 years old and he came in and talked to me about it and stuff. And we did a session on it, but then he said, oh, I remembered something when you were doing the session. I had a memory of when I was in high school, my girlfriend and I would go to her parents' house because they were gone and they didn't get home until whatever time from work, we'd have sex. And every time we were having sex because she was worried about her parents coming home, she said, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> I remember she said that constantly every time we had sex. And then we just released that. I told his mind that that isn't something that's valid or relevant in his life and had him imagining being able to last as long as he wants and some other things. And he didn't have it anymore, even though he struggled with it for years, but we found the cause. And so for many- How, sessions, how long did it take to find that cause? Oh, just the one session. And we worked on it for a couple more sessions just to make sure there wasn't anything else in the way. <laughs> but people are funny. Like this one man I worked with for imp impotence, like six sessions or so. And finally we were like, done. I said, I don't know what else to do. You know, I don't know why this isn't working. He says, yeah, I know. It's so weird. Like, cause he was married to this woman. And he says, whenever I have sex with my ex-wife, I get an erection just fine. And I'm like, what? What, excuse me, you're having sex with your ex-wife and you don't know why you're impotent with your current wife. A lot of conflict that's going on there, but huh. he never told me till the end. Whew. Uh, <laughs> you, you saved that for the finale, huh? <laughs> but okay, bye-bye. <laughs> so, I mean, so what was, what was your, what was the outcome or, or your, you know, your intervention? Yeah, with him, um, I, qu I quit working with him because I thought that was just a little too extreme that he didn't be honest with me. Right, but right. typically, we do want to find the cause and we do want to find what is at the core. It could be a very early sexual experience, guilt from um, growing up in my generation. I didn't even know that men had penises until I accidentally caught a glimpse of my dad in a bathrobe. And I was like, what's that? What? We were so protected and we had no idea what it was. And the first time I had an orgasm, I had no idea what that, I, I don't know what this is. And other people, I don't even know that anybody's ever experienced this before. Right, right, right. We're so sheltered. So we grew up with a lot of issues and we've got to clear up those issues and get a person back to the basics of their body, that your body is meant to have this pleasure. And it's something that is your right and that you can experience it fully. And especially with women, um, <laughs> I was a guest on a talk radio show where we were in the studio and they're looking at my book, Hypnotize Your Lover. I said, chapter 19, can you really do that? <laughs> I said, chapter um, 19, what, what's chapter 19? It's for a woman to love giving head. So wow. Wow. to really love it and for her to get pleasure from giving him head. And I said, oh yeah, of course, actually in reality, I had never done that, but um, wow. but someone else told me they were using hypnosis for that. So I wrote a chapter about it of what I would do for that. Um, and so they, they had two 
couples call into the radio show that were going to go to my office and let me do hypnosis on the two wives to make them love giving head. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> but it was, wow. it was fun. So they came in separately and I did some work with them about the pleasure and increasing the pleasure. And then I anchored on their hands on each part of their hand and fingers anchored a different pleasure, something they loved, something they couldn't resist, something that was just so good. And then I connected that to their desire to give their husband pleasure. And uh, apparently it worked. So um, on the next Monday, the two talk show hosts, Jack and Joe, they had the first guy call in and say, well, how'd it go? Or how are things with your wife? And he said, well, I'll tell you boys, as a token of my appreciation for what Wendy did, if you go into the parking lot, there's two brand new Corvettes. Keys are in them. Just a gift from me to you for what you did, which to my wife. Wow. There were, no, there were no Corvettes, but it was just very funny. Like, that's how grateful he was. Wow. So the other woman, she came back for a couple more sessions, and she said, I have a problem with what you did. I am loving giving my husband a blowjob, but... I was really mad at him and we'd had a fight and I still wanted to give him head, even though we were having a fight. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> talk about positive feedback. <laughs> anyway, there you go. <laughs> wow. Fantastic. I love it. Wendy, how are you on time? I, I mean, we could talk for hours, so I don't, I know I'm mindful of your time. How are you on time? I'm good. I've got another half hour free with okay, a, great. And that okay. still gives so, me a break so from we'll my go next a little week. bit longer than usual okay. because we we still got some more things I like to touch on or at least cover in, sufficiently. And I, I don't want to end it, you know, unless we have to. And I'm good yeah. with time too. So great. I appreciate that very much. Uh, so before we continue with sex, let me let me let me uh, circle back to uh, addiction for a moment. Uh, is there a hypnosis cure for addiction. You know, in my, I know I have a virtual coaching, you know, uh, this virtual coaching program and, I, and I'm totally focused on self-help. That's our first market, our first uh, stage. Later on, I'll be getting into addiction recovery uh, mm. from my own experience and other people's work like Richard Gray, uh, maybe yours and other, other leaders know what they're talking about. And I definitely want to include hypnosis because I know hypnosis works. I know from my own experience as a yeah. person being hypnosis. And I know from my colleagues, such as yourself, that it's extremely effective to say the least. <laughs> so now I'm asking you, is there a hypnosis cure for addiction? Yeah, well, we don't use the word cure because that would imply that we are practicing medicine or curing a condition or disease in the body. So right. it, with hypnosis and NLP, we let go of the disease model. We don't have to fight to say it's not a disease or it is. We just let go of that. There is something that has helped people who were absolutely hopeless, were convinced that nothing would work because they failed so many times. So what I did is I created a process of taking people through the, all the elements needed to end your addiction and make you solid about never struggling with it again and never having to struggle with your own thoughts. But it's a whole lot of things. <clears throat> you have to look at your identity as an addict when you've said this millions of times that, hi, I'm Wendy and I'm an addict. <clears throat> and what they're doing in rehabs that continues to energize your weaknesses, like this one rehab that my oldest son went to was the very first one I'd taken him to. And I thought, oh, this is it. He's going to be cured. 
So they had a speaker who's a professional AA speaker that goes around to different rehabs. He stands up and says, hi, I'm George and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody says, hi, George. And he says, I got to tell you that for 20 years, I haven't had a drink, but every day I'm white knuckling it, hoping I'll make it to midnight. What he did right there was have them envision and feel and experience what it will be like in 20 years. And that every day they're going to be hoping to make it till midnight. Then in a very cheerful voice, he says, you know, I remember on the airlines when they had the carts full of those little mini alcohol bottles, so I could steal 10 or 12 of those off the cart and I could just get ripper and drunk all for the whole flight. It was so great. So now he took them in NLP terms, you know, he took them into an experience to imprint them with the joy of getting drunk. I was shocked. And I, and I'm thinking, well, of course, that's why rehab doesn't work. But when my son was leaving that rehab, he and a few of the other men, the director said, remember, in a month from now, only one in 12 of you will still be clean and sober. Wow, that's some powerful hypnosis. So in my program, I basically did the opposite of everything they're doing. And I had people get their worthiness, get rid of some of the identity issues and the worthiness and stuff from their childhood, then taking them into the future. Well, first they go into the future on this timeline that splits off. It has like kind of a T in the road or whatever, <clears throat> splits off to the right and to the left. And they do have to go down each one a little ways. And the one to the left is the path that they're on if they continue what they're doing in their life with drugs or alcohol. The one to the right is being completely free from it and feeling their creativity and their love of life and their pride in themselves. But when they do that and have that contrast, and then I have them come back to the point where the split in the two paths happened and I have them choose, but I do it in a way that makes it such an impactful moment that they know what that path to the left is like. They've lived that their whole life or whole adult life maybe. <clears throat> but they want the other one so much that their brain flips a switch that says, yep, I'm all on, I'm all in this. So then I have other things like doing the parts therapy, their positive reason for being an alcoholic or an addict. And we've got to work with that and find out what that is. And then going into these different future moments to get their brain to record a different memory about their life, something different, something they love about themselves, what they're accomplishing. And like I said, with Canada, year in the future, he's an athlete, who knew? <clears throat> but this was, my first client was a meth addict and he had gotten kicked out of his house, couldn't see his wife or his kids. And we did some work together with these different elements that I have. And I didn't have it as a program back then, but he did about six sessions with me every week, came back to me six months later, walked into my office with a yellow silk rose, which I still have. And he said, I have been clean for six months. I know I'm never going back to it, but guess what? My wife took me back. I'm back with my family. I'm a good man and I'm doing a good job of raising my kids. <gasps> Fantastic. So there's a lot of things. There's about 15 different sessions in my program and you can do it self-guided on your own and just follow through on the course. There's a video every day and the hypnosis sessions, you wake up to this session in the morning that's telling you, you know, that you're creative or that you have something that you're inspired to do and just different things. It doesn't have to be about the addiction. And it just takes you through the whole thing that heals a lot of parts of your life, but opens you up to something really good and something you want so much that you won't go back to the drugs or alcohol. I love it. 
Let's uh, let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right. We'll be back with more talk about. I don't I don't know if I want to talk about sex or more about addiction recovery because I'm just both so fascinating. And we might get into something else. No, no, please don't let me get into something else. Sailing. That'll be another hour. <laughs> Sailing. <laughs> Right. Well, that's we haven't even mentioned sailing. We're both sailors, by the way, audience. So, you know, I heard the writing's already in the wall. Uh, writing's already on the wall. Then he's going to have to come back for another interview. But let's just get through this one first. Okay. So let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor. This episode of Self Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Perficio learns more about you as you make progress and then uses that information to help you even more. It is quasi-AI. Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can be helped by something that learns more about you because that is the difference that makes the difference. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with Wendy Friesen. Wendy, uh, are we done with addiction recovery talk now? Can we talk about sex or is there more to talk about? I mean, I, I know there's more to talk about, but uh, you want to move on? You want to talk more yeah, about that's, it? That's probably, it gives the people a, the idea of why it's not working. If you're, if you're not getting clean or sober with AA or rehab, it's not your fault. There's some very flawed aspects to it. Absolutely. That takes tremendous willpower to rise above it. So my son went to five different rehabs, residential rehabs, and he taught me every time he went to one. And he's the reason that I do the addiction work, because every time he went to one and I wrote a check for another $30,000 or whatever, right. Right. I go, that's bullshit what they're doing. That's terrible. Right. That's not that doesn't that's not going to make a person change anyway. So, yeah, so. Well, uh, when, when did your course come out or your program? Because uh, I'm wondering if there's anything new. Not that, you know, not that I'm, well, when did your course come out? Yeah, well, I started doing the addiction work about 15 years ago. And then this program that I'm using now is about seven or eight years that I created it. And I've updated it since. And I also do training for other therapists so that they can use this course with their clients. Okay, great. So you've got it for the consumer, if you will, as well mm -hmm. as continuing education for change workers. Yeah. Great. Okay, great. Uh, I love that. And now, now let's move on to some sex. All right. Ooh. By the way, if you're just listening, you got to tune into YouTube. Uh, Wendy is quite uh, some eye candy, you know, for you <laughs> check out YouTube. <laughs> so uh, let's talk more about uh, how sex let's talk about how sex how does hypnosis affect our sex lives you know in terms of hypnosis before you meet a hypnotist <laughs> yeah yeah and a lot of people have issues you know as i said when talk i was young it. i knew nothing about sex i grew up as a kid of a preacher and there were five kids in my family and no one got talked to about sex at all and back then there was no sex education and your friends didn't talk about sex because it was just we didn't know. So that's a lot of the problem. We weren't given information to grow up and love our bodies and say, there's a really special thing about your body that happens and that you're going to be noticing, blah, blah, blah. Um, I just, like I said, I had no idea that men had penises. I was like 12 years old and I caught a glimpse of one. <laughs> I was like, what, what's what, that? What, what, do you, what do you think of Freud's theory of penis envy? For women with penis, uh, yeah, right. I, I would right. say it still exists and it still goes I think, on. I think it's true. I think a lot of what Freud, you know, purported is true or you yeah, know, yeah. Viable. And 
for women with the sexual issues that I work with women on, a lot of them is about not being able to really relax and enjoy sex and to allow themselves to orgasm because they're nervous. They don't want to take too long and they, we feel guilty because we're women, I guess. Um, and so maybe penis envy comes a lot from that because it just seems to us that men can function and they have an orgasm and we're good to go. So I did a process on a woman just to experiment by rubbing the back of her hand with my fingers and just going around in circles and creating this pleasure that she would experience that had to do with sexual pleasure. And then <laughs> with each finger having a different element of the pleasure and similar to what I did with the two guests on the radio that were on that radio show. But this one was just to get her to have an orgasm without any genital stimulation of any kind. And so I was just doing that and she was enjoying herself. Um, clearly wasn't sure that she was actually, you know, having that, but I continued to do this and continued setting the anchors on each of her fingers and it really, really worked. And she um, <clears throat> ended up going to work for me in my customer service room. And every time I'd go in there, I'd take my hand and put it on the back of Jill's hand and say, oh, Jill, how are you doing today? And I make little circles of my hands. Just stop that, stop that, because it still but, works. By the way, for those listening or watching, uh, anchor is a stimulation response. You know, it's like classic conditioning. So she's able to elicit a feeling that she deliberately cre created called anchoring, <laughs> which is a really cool thing. <laughs> yeah, and the wording I would use, like one of the fingers was like a food that you really love to eat, something you love to taste that you want more of. And I would slide my finger down that one finger and saying it, and that feeling gets stronger and stronger and you want that more and more and continuing to increase the effect of this anchor. And the next one was, I don't know, there was a different one for each one. And I, it's on it's on a video that shows you how to do it. But then I would take all of these at the same time by putting my hand over hers and saying, now all of those feelings, all at the same time, they all come together right now. And you feel them all coming together. Like, so there's this intense thing. And there are women that have orgasms without being touched genitally but just by doing this process, someone doing this process on the back of their hand That's and our, our brains are capable of doing yes, that. Right. All the brain is the most erotic <laughs> organ there is. Right. So yeah. um, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about fear of hypnosis. Are people scared of hypnosis? Yeah, a lot of people are. And when you go see stage shows, it looks so like weird and controlling and right. making people do stupid things. I've been, I've done some stage shows, different events, and it's pretty weird. People do whatever I tell them to do because there's an expectation that they're supposed to do this. Right. And they're already pre-programmed. They know what's up and they're either really susceptible or they're playing along some, a little both. So fears of hypnosis, a lot come from that. And also some of the things you've seen on TV, maybe some older hypnosis stuff. Uh, one of the things I saw that should scare the crap out of everybody is Paul McKenna, very famous hypnotist. British. He was on the Ellen show wanting to help her quit smoking. So he's doing a hypnosis session on the show live. Well, live recorded, whatever. He told her to imagine that her lungs were black and diseased and told her to feel that guilt that she has that she can't quit smoking. 
And he had her imagine and visualize getting sicker and sicker because of the cigarettes. I was wanting to scream. That's not how you do it. And people should be afraid of hypnosis because this is a very famous, very skilled hypnotist doing something that's horribly dangerous. So you think you have a hypnotist who is good at what they're doing, but you should find out if they are really as good as they say, or if they use aversion techniques or do something dangerous, like that's dangerous. If you can pass a tumor out of your uterus with hypnosis, telling your lungs they're black and diseased is going to have an effect on them too. Right. So that's why some of it, you should be afraid of some of it and don't let just anybody play around with your mind. Right. So, I mean, a question you may ask a potential hypnotherapist is, do you use aversion therapy? And if they use, use it, you may want to go yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, because that that is dangerous. And you don't know what you're setting up in someone's subconscious or what you're getting to be triggered from some old memory because of the aversion therapy. Um, but you do need to get to the cause of issues. That's much more important is asking someone to go to the very first time they had that problem. And a woman that had migraines every Thursday, like horrible, debilitating migraines for a couple of years, her doctor sent her to me and I asked her to go back to the first time she felt that feeling. And she's sitting in my chair and all of a sudden she stops breathing and it's like, she's really not breathing, but she's struggling. Her head is shaking back and forth and she's going, ah, 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 and she couldn't breathe. So I sat on the count of three, when I touch your shoulder, I'm, you're going to take a nice breath. You're going to stay in that moment, but you're going to breathe and relax. One, two, three. And I touched her shoulder. She took a really big breath. I said, stay right there in that moment and tell me what you're experiencing, what's going on. She said, my husband has his hands around my neck and he's trying to kill me. Oh. And we went through, the, yeah, just that, just another Wednesday afternoon. Uh, so we went through that event, Whew, ah. <laughs> went through that event. We released it in a way that it's a distant memory. It was wrong. It was horrible, but she can let that go. And now, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of that session, I said, and what day is it right now in that moment? And she said, it's Thursday. So her brain, her subconscious was triggering that fear every Thursday. And it brought up the migraine of when she was being strangled on that one day. Wow. But guess what? She never had a migraine again. Ah, fantastic. Gone. Fantastic. I'm going to ask my final question. Uh, does hypnosis work for kids? Oh my gosh. My favorite kid, seven-year-old Grant. Oh my gosh. He was a bedwetter and all his life he had wet the bed. And um, so his mom brought him to me and we did a couple of sessions. It was so, so sweet and so amazing that... He, so after the second session, his mom called me up and she said, uh, Grant wants to talk to you on the phone, hands him the phone. And he said, Wendy, this is the best day of my life. He was dry for the first time. So and, that's, that's a big yes. Oh, so great. Yeah. And we can, I continue to stay in touch and he did great. Uh, but another man that <clears throat> took his kindergarten son to kindergarten every day and the boy just cried and screamed, would not go in the door. 
he listened to my story. It's a story about a wizard taking the child to experience something about themselves in this really cool magical garden and, and finding out that they have these other powers and abilities and stuff. So the story is different for every child because they're letting the wizard do whatever is applicable to them. Anyway, he says he listened to that story for a couple nights. And then when I took him to kindergarten, he just went in. He wouldn't even give me a hug. He said, bye, dad. Wouldn't even say goodbye, hardly. And then the teacher said, he's now helping the other kids who are scared of kindergarten. He's helping them be brave and go in. And the stories for the kids, I have stories for all kinds of problems that kids have that are recorded. And you've seen many children. Yeah. And it's so, oh my God, it's so rewarding and amazing for them to get help now for things that they need help with. Like this little girl who is um, second grade, her mom said, don't say the word math. She has a math phobia. If you say the word math, she will bust into tears and she'll just cry. So don't say that word. So I did a session with her and said, I want you to go back, let your mind go back to the time when you found you had this fear of that with the numbers and the addition and subtraction and everything. So just go back to that time now. And she says, I'm in first grade or second grade. Um, and we are working on some stuff and then the bell rings and I'm rushing to go get my coat with all the other kids. Everybody's running to the front, get, get their coats so we can go out to recess. And there's three boys who are making fun of me and they're all saying, you don't know how to add. You don't know anything. You can't even add one plus one plus one, she says. And I'm crying and I'm crying. They're so mean, those boys. So here started her phobia of math and her fear of it. And it's also locked in from all these children running towards the place to get the coats and all this happening at the same time. So what I did with her was have her make the boys get really, really small. So they're really tiny and their voices are all icky and squeaky. And they said, those boys are a bunch of idiots. You could just flick them out of here if you want. And then now I want you to find something to fly away on. So she found a Pegasus that was all rainbow colors. And she's flying away above all that on this Pegasus. So what I'm doing in her brain is totally changing how she holds those memories. We're not just visualizing Pegasuses. We're changing her power and their weakness. And while she's flying around, I'm saying, math, math, math. You're smart. You know you're smarter than those guys. You're good at math. And you always have been. And now you're going to love it. And that was it. (sighs) This horrible problem that her parents had for the last couple of years was gone fantastic wow it's hypnosis yeah i mean you're you're hearing it here hypnosis works for all sorts of people and it's really an incredible thing finally i want to touch on one thing we're going to talk about something real briefly it's something that arouses wendy and myself both of us no, I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about selling the other words. <laughs> and yes. I just just before the interview, she told me she has a book about it too. I was like, oh my god, too, because I knew that about Wendy, and we were talking about it. And you also have written this book about uh, journaling down in the Caribbean or wherever. Talk about that. Talk about selling in general, whatever. Well, I've, I've always wanted to have a catamaran and I went to France many years ago to look at the Lagoon catamaran, which is made in France. And I didn't quite ever get it together. And one day I decided to do it, just to do it and to buy a catamaran. And on the sailing forum online, I would look at it there and talk to people about it. And I finally narrowed it down to this one. 
that the I knew the two people who owned it somewhat online. And so they were in Croatia, they were done, and I bought it from them. Um, <laughs> the boy, there were a few pitfalls along the way, but uh, I had someone sail it to the Canary Islands because every year there's a rally of like 250 boats that all sail together from the Canaries to the Caribbean, to Rodney Bay. Wow. Um, and so I did that. I hired a crew online. What could go wrong with that? Wow. How many um, in the crew? <laughs> two. There was a couple that were Dutch and there was one guy from Australia, John. So there were three crew. And you? Uh, yeah, so I had three people that I didn't know, except we did some Skyping online, come on my boat. And uh, we it was great fun, except um, sometimes it got a little difficult because Ellie and guys being Dutch, um, I didn't know, but that's typically a different mindset than mine, <laughs> like the opposite. So I would so? put on music. I would put on music and say, hey, dance party. And she says, no, no music on this boat, no. I said, what? no music? He says, no, we don't like music. We've already listened to all that music on the islands. No music. And then a little little bird flew onto the boat. We're a thousand miles out in the Atlantic. This little bird is here and it's cold and sweat. And I hold it in my hands and says, you let that bird go. You get that rid of that bird. I said, it's okay. I'm just going to keep it warm because, you know, it's got nowhere else to go. But she actually scolded me like I was a child a lot. And she was younger than me. So, <laughs> and you were the captain too. It was, it was like, uh, you know, amusing. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> so there's a lot to the story, but I, in my cabin, I would just type every night as if someone was actually listening to me. Cause that really helped me. And for the most part, we did all get along pretty good, but then the last six days there were squalls and storms and we thought we were going to die almost every day because it just wouldn't fucking quit. The waves were so big and oh we couldn't turn into the wind because the waves were from behind us and it would capsize us with a catamaran. Um, so we had to keep going and, oh, boy. but I typed, type, 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 type. So oh. the book hasn't been published yet. Um, I just, it's finished. It's edited. just needs to get published now. Wow. All right. But what I learned in those last six days, thinking that my life might be over um, when was this? When was this trip? Oh, this is now, um, oh, it's 2018. Okay, so it was real, it was pretty recently. No, not 2018. It was eight years ago. So you, you've been sailing for quite some time, but this was relatively recently, this trip. Yeah, yeah, within like eight, eight right. seven, eight years ago. But, still but it was the, the only. Ocean. The only rally that the Ark has had, that they have them every year. It's the only one they had that had any squalls or storms. And they said, you know, you might see one tiny little squall on the trip. You can just sail a bathtub <laughs> across the Atlantic. It terrifies me. It terrifies me. And I'm an ex-paratrooper, solo sailor. It terrifies me, man. Being out in the middle of nowhere, truly nowhere, squalls. That, you know. yeah. yeah. And you can't be rescued. You can't. You're too far out. There's no range for anything any rescue equipment to get to you and if there was a big tanker ship or something being rescued by them will kill you because it just is too hard to do it's not so you're shit wow. out of luck but it did teach me a lot because um the ending of it coming into shore at rodney bay and you know getting off the boat was a very exhilarating experience and really exciting, but also it was the most courageous thing I ever had to do awesome. once we got off that boat and what I was going to unload on these three people and what they did that was 
the most horrific thing that nobody should do to a person. So anyway, I did that. And then that ensued in having four policemen on my boat who were there for five hours. <laughs> what? Oh my God, I didn't even see this ball coming, man. <laughs> wow. Fun just begins. Yeah, they were there just to get them off my boat because the twists and turns that happen in this. Wow. But anyway, I'm still glad I did it. I'm still really grateful I did it. Experience of a lifetime turned me into. Wow, what a fantastic interview this has been. We've covered some <laughs> great, 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 awesome stuff. You are awesome, Wendy. I really appreciate it. Uh, and let's just uh, let's just say have our our ending. Uh, do you have? Oh, I understand you have a free gift for the listener or the uh, the viewer. Is that is that correct? I do. I do. If you go to if you go to the website at wendy.com, there's two things. First of all, the coupon code to take 30% off of anything on the site is off the cuff. Make it all one word, off the cuff. And then there is a free self-hypnosis training in there. And if you want to send me an email, I'll give you the link to get it for free. So my email is wendy at wendy.com. Just spell wendy with an I, W-E-N-D-I at wendy.com. And I'll send you the link for free for the self-hypnosis course. So you can learn how to use your brain for good. Wendy, you have been a fantastic, remarkable guest. I really appreciate it. Uh, please go to Wendy's website. That's wendi.com. You get this great discount. Uh, and, uh, and that's, you know, all these things that you offer the person that wants to do personal development and self-help and improve themselves are, is awesome. But I'm also looking forward to that book. <laughs> I'm going to send it. I'll send you the PDF. Oh, I'm going to read it. Yeah. Um, and then I just, I need to figure out next, do I need to just find a publisher, self-publish it or an agent? And that part, I'm not real clear on what I'm supposed to do next, but maybe, you know, or someone out there knows it wants to just help take it to the next step. Contact, contact either one of us and let Wendy know if, if, uh, if you know something about that. Wendy, thank you very much. Uh, would you like to say goodbye to the audience? Yes, yes. And thank you, Tony. You are amazing. We've had so much fun. The energy is amazing. And thank you to everyone who stuck with it to hear this. And I hope you're inspired or that you're going to inspire someone else and help get out of some really icky places in your life and love your life again. Thank you very much, Wendy. And remember, listener and viewer, every one of us is responsible for ourselves and we can all use some help. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.